You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and remotely with me, actually in the studio, is my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Paul. Hi, how are you doing? Um, you know, I'm fine. I'm kind of, like, frustrated to be trapped in my house again, but, you know. Well, that's what happens when life. you get a fever. Yeah, got a fever, yeah. got a COVID test, the got only, a negative result. The only thing that will, uh, will alleviate it is uh, cowbell, more cowbell. <laughs> I wish. Um, yeah, negative results, but I inquired of the doctor when they phoned me with my results about the specificity of the test and, and i thought you'd appreciate this there was a very long pause like who's asking she asking a statistician statistician on the other <laughs> where would she learn such a term and then i had to explain oh i'm a dui lawyer so you know like testing and specificity and sensitivity is something i deal with all the time and i'm just generally curious and i found out so the COVID test that they're currently using in British Columbia has a 70% specificity. So 30% fail rate, basically. 30%, 30% false negatives. False negatives, yeah. yeah. Which is problematic well, because you can't really rule people out. Well, we've done less testing than Alberta. Alberta's got a lot more cases. Our case is today, uh, I checked on the website, I didn't hear Bonnie Henry today because I was actually in the office working when I'm at home, I can listen to it. Uh, but the, uh, well, yeah, but in, uh, in the, um, in the area of Vancouver and up the coast, it's only four. So, um, it, most of them are all related to chicken plants. Yeah. Um, or slaughterhouses as Rebecca Bretter wishes we would call them. Yeah. Well, that's what they are. But are they Abattoirs. Like, see, I don't know, like... Is there a difference between a slaughterhouse, like where they kill the chickens, and where they do like the butchering and they cut it into the different? No, no, they do it all together. It all up? No, they do it all oh, together. Okay. Yeah, no, the well, chickens are know. marched in one end, and they, they, uh, they kill them and and take their feathers and off, and then they styrofoam trays on the other end. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Oh. Yeah, no, they, you know, they're Horrific. they're they're basically sometimes they're boxed as, as carcasses, like in a plastic bag inside of a box that's covered with wax. At least that's the way we used to get them um, when I worked at uh, Bullwinkle's Family Food and Fun Restaurant. I was a chicken cook for a while. Oh. Yeah. I used to, I used to like ch- cooking chickens. <laughs> <laughs> that's the stuff of, uh, of lots of my friends' nightmares. I also, so. uh, I also worked in a... Uh, Worked in a uh, in an abattoir. I worked in a in the Gainer's meatpacking plant, and the well, reason I, that I, these things are in a meatpacking plant is because you have to stand side by side on a line, and you can't separate the machines. And you go in, and you have to get dressed together. Like you can't you 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 you, you don't wear your street clothes. Obviously, you go in and you put on your big uh, rubber suit, uh, and then you go stand side by side on a line. And there's uh, you know of course it's going to be passed around with those plants quickly. So are they pulling all the chicken from like all these m- meat places off the shelves? No, because there's no there's no risk from the meat, and you're going to cook the meat. You're not going to transfer it to yourself from the meat, and you're going to cook the meat. Um, right. And it's probably all the chicken. Yeah. So if it's, it was a tuna plant, you might have a bigger 
Yeah, nobody's nobody's eating raw chicken. So, yeah, a tuna plant might be different. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I've been reluctant, and I hate to say it, I've been reluctant to have sushi. I've only wanted to eat things that I've taken from restaurants that are cooked. Right. But this is not the uh, COVID-19 slaughterhouse uh, podcast. No, this is the Driving Law podcast. And I wanted to follow up on something that we talked about last week, because this is fascinating to me. Last week, you and I talked about Nova Scotia and what happened in Nova Scotia. Um, And then now uh, we talked about sort of the need for better rules around people taking those old police vehicles and marking them up to look like police vehicles. Or just having them. I mean, just having them, just the the need for better restrictions. I mean, they that. sell them with with black hood, black uh, fenders, and white doors, and a white and roof. It's like, like, <laughs> it's like this horrific situation in Nova Scotia inspired a ton of idiots in Ontario to pose as police officers, conduct fake traffic stops of vehicles, so pulling people over with lights and cars that appear to be marked cars and everything. And then acting like the COVID police, asking people whether they're essential workers and why they're out, and making them justify being out of their house. I can't believe that. I saw that news story too. It's I mean, insane. They should be the ridiculous drivers of the week, but they're actually the ridiculous weirdos of the week. Um, it's uh, the people were calling in today to uh, Gloria Makarenko on CBC. Um, and uh, sending tweets and stuff. And they were talking about, you know, that we need some clearly defined rules for social distancing. Uh, And nobody really wants to be the social distancing police. And one guy was saying like, you know, I want to be able to report people. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't, you know, I don't want to be able, I don't want to report people. I don't want that. I don't want that to be my job. Uh, But, uh, you know, some people are struggling, I think, with the concept of, what should be permitted and what is not permitted and who is to enforce it. And nobody's, it doesn't feel like they're enforcing it. And so some people who are maybe a little bit unstable have decided to pretend they're police officers. That's my assumption. Yeah. Or, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think this whole report culture is also fueled by the way that Ontario has been dealing with social distancing. I mean, they've been sort of overzealous about ticketing people for the most absurd stuff, like you're walking in a park and you sit on a bench for too long and you get a $600 fine. And I think when you start treating your community like that and ticketing people for things that don't pose any risk, if you're alone and you're sitting on a bench, if you're doing push-ups in a park, whatever, basketball by yourself, um, they don't pose a risk to the public. They don't pose a risk to you, but they're prohibited and they're offenses that people are being charged with. I think you create this mindset where people think there needs to be more enforcement because enforcement is is the norm. And so you get these people who are so invested in the idea of enforcement that they take it way too far, decorate their vehicles, and go out and pretend to be the the coronavirus police. So have they decorated their vehicles? I didn't get that far into it. I just saw that they were were pulling people over, and I was trying to figure out how. Well, I wouldn't pull pull over if I didn't see lights. Red and blue lights, (laughs) I guess, probably. Yeah. You, you would not get me pulling over, and I would have a defense in court. <laughs> well, I noticed a, a fellow was pulled over as well in, I think this was on, in Ontario as well, and he was uh, riding a, like a Honda Goldwing motorcycle, and it was just all white. And somebody reported him as a, like, looked like a fake police vehicle. 
And it I'm wasn't l- in Ontario. This was in Courtney. Was on it? On Vancouver Island. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know. I couldn't remember where it was. Yeah, okay. I guess it was in Courtney. It was a few days ago I saw it. And the police were tweeting about it uh, or yeah. commenting about it. And I'm looking at it and I'm just thinking, well, this is just a white motorcycle. Like, don't, you know, this this is a person being persecuted. Like, unless he's doing something, it just looks like a motorcycle. If the police happen to buy motorcycles and paint them white and somebody else has a motorcycle that they paint white, don't, it you know. It wasn't even a model of motorcycle that the police used. No, I know. I know. This is a motorcycle, and he had some decals on it against a white background, which is not illegal. Well, the decals people... didn't make it look like a police motorcycle no. at all to me. But the police suggested, like, you know, this is a concern. Uh, the, you know, somebody's driving around with a white motorcycle. I'm... They asked him to cover the decals up on his drive home and take them off, and he did. Yeah. And it was incredibly like, unfortunate. It was a, a guy on a white bike who white's easily seen. And if you're really into safety, you have a white bike. And you might want to put some uh, reflective tape on it so you're really seen because you're on a motorcycle and you don't want to die. And the guy gets pulled over and gets an, gets ordered by the police to cover it up and then take it home. I mean, this is that's just persecution as far as I'm concerned. I was, yeah, I was not happy with it. I was not happy to see that. But, you know, on the other hand, you can understand sort of the heightened awareness. Oh, sure. I mean, people, people are freaked right, right out, it's, and yeah. understandably so. I mean, it's, a, it's miserable to too. see this having happened. There's... And there's the concern, too, about copycats, right? We see the copycats at, like, the lowest end of the extreme in Ontario, but there's also the high end of the extreme of people being inspired to dress like police officers or to mark their vehicles like police vehicles and, and to do this because they can, and they can probably get away with doing things, if they do that, at least for now. That's a huge concern. Yeah. Yeah, it terrifies me. Yeah. Um, I did also want to spend a minute, because I think it's important that we recognize, um, you know, the details came out this weekend. The police gave a big briefing about the details of of everything that went on in the the events of, of this incident. But one of the things that they gave details about was was the actions of uh, Constable Heidi Stevenson, who um, tried to stop uh, this man who was on this killing spree. And it also involves driving and a significant act of bravery by a police officer. And I think we, we have to acknowledge that on this podcast. So well, she... I, I think so. Go ahead, please. So the... If, when if word people haven't heard of it, they should they should know what she did because this yeah. is this is meaningful so, for Canadians. When word came out about uh, about the fact that he was driving around in a police vehicle, um, there were two police officers, her and another uh, another officer, and the other officer actually encountered him and um, had an interaction with him on the roadway. He was shot, and he retreated in his police vehicle, and she was heading down the highway in the opposite direction and saw the killer's vehicle and made a decision to drive her car intentionally headfirst into his vehicle to try and stop him. And she survived the accident. And after she survived the accident, he he also survived, obviously, as we know. Um, he came up to her vehicle. Um, they engaged in an altercation, he took her firearm and and shot her to death with it. Um, But when she did that, she managed to damage his vehicle so significantly that it was no longer capable of being driven. So she stopped him 
from being able to use a vehicle that appeared to be a marked police vehicle. And he had been pulling people over and killing them, so... Yep, all along the way, pulling people over and killing them, pulling up to houses, posing as a police officer, so she stopped that. And that's just an incredible act. Incredible act of bravery for the people of Nova Scotia and the people of Canada to the benefit of us. And it makes me want to cry. Yeah. And I am thankful to the courageous police officers out there. We deal with so many police officers every day, and I know many police officers um, would put themselves out and, and do that in that position. I mean, she made a rational decision, and it was a rational decision that um, she must have known would put her life at risk and maybe end her life. And she oh, gave her life for us. First at full speed into somebody. And you don't expect it. Yeah. Die. Yeah. So uh, very courageous and thankful for her. And I'm so sorry for her family and the police officers and all the Canadians, everyone from coast to coast in our country, you know, that we have gone through this. And to the people of Nova Scotia, um, obviously going through a terrible time. I mean, we've had such a tough time so far this year in this country. And it's, you know, all external things. So little of it's (laughs) brought upon ourselves. Well, Um, even even the information that was released today about the the original cases of COVID-19 in Canada, you know, everybody's been blaming the, uh, the Asian population. It's quite racist. Turns out, as research has, contact tracing has developed, They've discovered that they all came from America. They basically vast drove majority. across our border. Yeah, and <laughs> it's funny because Adrian Dix wanted to uh, talk about screening Americans and, and closing off the border to Americans. Um, he wanted to do that. And, of course, we stopped flights from China long before we stopped, excuse me, people driving up from the States. And uh, it turns out that our, you know, contacting it back, they're able to trace the cases. Most of them uh, entered Canada from the United States. Uh, Where did I get it? It's very unfortunate. You got it in the United States, yeah. Yep. I brought it here from the U.S., so. You're one of those people who brought it in. I didn't drive across the border, though. No, I know. But, (laughs) I mean, most of our traffic to and from the U.S. in British Columbia is to and from the U.S. through the the numerous driving borders. So Same with Ontario. Yeah. Where the first cases were, so. So that's driving law, in a sense. Driving law and pandemic law. And uh, I'm glad to see that the provincial government has really, um, really stepped up in BC. And if you live in BC, you're probably feeling pretty proud of your government right now. Although I can am greatly concerned that people won't understand what we've avoided because of the strict measures and because of the smart moves of the government. Uh, you know, when you don't have it, it's like a non-issue. Uh, an overreaction is the right thing in these circumstances. It's not an overreaction because we actually have are stemming this thing. Uh, but well, uh, everybody's the next... been saying, you know, I'd rather be the government that overreacted than underreacted. Well, yeah, because you get to keep your family member who didn't die, um, or you get to live yourself. Uh, but the uh, the government has now uh, um, facilitated uh, food trucks on the highways. Um, where the transport trucks are driving because we've had this problem where transport, transport truck drivers have nowhere to go to eat um, and they can't drive through a drive through in a transport truck. Uh, normally they would park and walk in at a truck stop or something like that uh, and they put up porta-potties and things like that. So uh, thankful, thankful to the provincial government for doing these steps. Now, and go we ahead. We can also talk about 
something else that the provincial government has done. That's a, that was a driving issue, by the way. Not yeah, I, I got it. Quasi-COVID driving issue. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But I, I want to talk about steps that we aren't as thankful for that the government has taken. Like, a little while ago, when this all started, um, you and I talked about cancelling road tests and how ICBC had made a very logical decision, you know, the Attorney General um, also ordering this, that no road tests were going to happen. And how can they, really? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know how they can. I mean, in theory, there's a couple ways they can, I'll tell you. First of all, you could have the instructor following the test candidate on a designated route. They could give them the route in advance and say, you have to do these things at these places. They could follow the test candidate in a separate vehicle. With a, um, with their, anybody... with a phone, cell phone held by the passenger on speaker yeah. so they can give instructions and then that no way they can phone. ensure. No? Give, them the, give them a map, a paper map. Could do that. Or give them the instructions in advance, or have the you know have. They the still have to have a supervisor in there, and you have yeah. to know that the parents not giving them all the directions to how not to do it. Not if you're an end, not if you're an end driver trying to get rid of your end and get your class five. No, that's fine. Yeah, I, that's fine. I'm just saying to get your your learner permit to have your or your uh, your end from your L. And I don't understand why driving schools like, you know, Wallace Driving School on Vancouver Island and, and other driving schools that have the vehicles, why they haven't equipped the vehicle with a plexiglass divider between the passenger and the driver's sides for the purposes of allowing a road test. I can think of a reason. I can think of a reason. Safety? Yeah. <laughs> but you can have those little single occupant, you know, quasi-motorcycles. Those exist. What, uh, a, uh, a um, what do they call that? Me- Messerschmitt. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> from like sure. 19, from 1952. Uh, no, 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 they have ones. Oh, okay. The ones always parked at the corner of 7th and Camby. Oh, that's the uh, ones that are made by Intermechanica. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, if you can do that, and that's safe, I don't know why you can't comply with safety regulations and put up a barrier. I think we just need uh, plastic bubble uh, helmets for the uh, for the driving uh, the driving uh, inspectors the driving testers. Just wear their scuba gear. Yeah, scuba gear. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe the plexiglass dividers won't work, but at least the following in the vehicle ones could get some road test done. Well, look, they're going to have to do something. I mean, we can't have this. I know there's going to be relax relaxation or relaxing restrictions as things come up, but you know, you can't just keep people forever being able to have a a road test. Uh, I mean, well, we're going to have to be able to go to the dentist. I got a sensitive tooth and it's driving me insane. And uh, if anybody saw my photograph that was widely mocked on Twitter uh, and uh, turned into many memes, you can see my hair. I need a damn haircut. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> the, you get a haircut once a year. Yeah, that's true. But it's my it's my annual haircut time. It's, it's May. I get a haircut every May. It's my birthday haircut. Yeah, okay. And... You know, it's time. It's it's down to my it's down to my neck. I don't like it. Um, no, the uh, the they could also just do away with road tests. They're doing that in Georgia. Georgia said, you know what? Screw it. We're not doing any road tests. We're not going to require people to go through this. It's not necessary. We can pass the drivers now based on their amount of time being you know licensed as learner drivers. 
gone. I'd be rushing in. I'm going to Georgia to get a road test, I'd be thinking, if I was a... (laughs) Yeah, well, you can convert your Georgia license to a BC license. So all you got to do is get across the border. Manage to get to Georgia. (laughs) Probably easier than getting a road test right now. But you could do it, and you could even do it in a modified way, where if you had like a like a class 7L driver who's required to have a supervisor have a person you know usually a parent because usually you're looking at you know a 16 17 year old write a letter certify the letter saying you know I've driven with them for x number of hours I've observed their driving skills I'm a you know qualified supervisor I'm of the opinion that they are fit and capable to be driving on their own right you could have somebody give that opinion Kyla Think of the scandals we've had with driving tests in British Columbia. Think of oh, the yeah. people who have scandals. faked Think of it. the scandals of the, the few people that are eligible to get rid of their Class 7L licenses and get a Class 7N license in this amount of time. How many of them will pose a significant risk that won't be mitigated by the increased presence of police doing traffic enforcement on our roads? detecting the unsafe drivers at a time when we have the least amount of traffic possible, making them A, more obvious, and B, less of a risk to the public. Hey, driving is up. Driving is up. Driving was down. Car traffic was down by 60% in the first week of this, so like in the end of March. And uh, now it has increased substantially, and traffic is up uh, to about 60% of what it was now. So it's down about 40%. So it's, uh, you know, traffic's coming back. Um, I don't know. I think uh, people can wait a couple of weeks and, uh, and then the driving instructors can wear a mask. I mean, again, once we're going to go. Before this. What's that? Before this, we had such a backlog in the lower mainland for people trying to get a road test. Oh, yeah, that's but a problem. I mean, impossible. the government, that's that's unfair to people. The, the, the backlog waiting to have a road test is completely ridiculous. I mean, this is where our government monopoly uh, it becomes embarrassing. And you're thinking to yourself, why don't they just hire four more people? The people pay for the road test, don't they? Do they? They must. You pay for a road test? You have yeah, to pay for a yeah. road test. So there like you go. 75 bucks or something. Yeah, so it's like a profit deal. Hire some more people. Yeah. Take some adjudicators <laughs> from the superintendent of motor vehicles and and uh, rubber stamp them as road test supervisors if they're not if they're not equipped to do it. Seventy five dollars in two thousand four. I don't know what it is now. There you go. It's probably seventy eight now. It's probably like ninety five. Who knows? Anyway, here we are. We're supposed to be the experts. The point is, they charge money for it, so they can hire more people. There's a ton of people who are out of work, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I I just think clearing the backlog because now you've just you've taken a, a system that was already over capacity, and you've taxed it even further. We're clearing backlogs in court, you know. Exactly. Implementing lots of my suggestions. Exactly. So we are uh, about twenty three minutes of the podcast. At some point, I'm going to make a phone call. What else do you want to discuss on the podcast? The last thing I wanted to discuss was about ICBC and the other change that's got me down. Which is? Um, which is the insurance cancellations, because we know driving's down. Lots of people aren't driving because they don't have a job to drive to or any reason to drive. Oh, and that was almost a segue. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I mean, we were just talking um, about driving being down, so. Yeah. And, uh, and ICBC's like, great, we're here to help. We will waive your insurance cancellation fee and your eighteen dollar like replating fee. So it's it's I think 
$30 for the insurance cancellation fee and $18 for the replating. So $48 total savings. It's less than 50 bucks. But ICBC, so generous. Well, it's chump change, and it's uh, but it, it reflects something important, and that is that uh, no matter what the circumstances are, they have operational expenses that don't end. Um, they may be, you know, right now they're still paying out the same number of claims. Maybe 20 months from now, they'll save some money for a few months as they settle the claims that took place in, during this period. But they still have all of those operational expenses. They've got all their buildings to maintain. Uh, I'm sure they are not laying people off. Um, I've noticed that you know, the no. cities are laying people off. Uh, Vancouver's laying people off. Prince George was laying people off. There's cities laying people off. And cities are not in a situation to get that um, the small business keep your staff members on or business keep your staff members on that WestJet's getting and things like that. So the cities are cutting like crazy. Um, ICBC still has all of their operational costs. So I think that's the reason that we're not seeing any break. Uh, but it, it, it makes people cynical like you, mm-hmm. people like you cynical, uh, mm-hmm. about the uh, money that we're paying ICBC because we know that the claims are going to drop to nothing and we know well, that look, the risk right now is incredibly low. Um, it's not just that. It's not just that. Look, I go buy my insurance. I pay in advance for the year because it's cheaper that way if you pay in advance because you pay less than if you pay by month. You don't pay the interest um, or whatever they charge yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so I go buy my insurance and I have to declare at the beginning of the year for my insurance period, what I'm going to use my vehicle for. Well, I'm going to drive it, you know, for the for the purposes of business. And I'm going to drive it more than 15 kilometers. And I'm going to drive, you know, this much and in these cities. And they calculate my premiums that I'm paying then and there that's already out of my pocket. This year, they make they you declare that. who else is driving. I did yeah. declare you as a potential driver for my car. And I, I haven't touched your car. Well, I know, but, you know, often if your car's in the shop, I've, we've got an extra car, and so I drive the truck, which you can no longer drive because right. I didn't declare you as an extra driver because I didn't want to pay the extra, you know, $186 to declare you as an extra driver. No, I get it. But yet there's it, no chance that you're driving my car. I'm not driving my car. I haven't. I'm not, I don't even need my car. Yeah, I'm not driving your car, but you're paying for me to be the extra driver. You're not driving my car, and, and Darren, who works for us, is not driving my car, but I'm paying for both of you to be on my car insurance. Um, my car sits parked in front of my house. It is sat parked in front of my house, except for me driving five minutes down the street, not even, to get a COVID test. Um, it is sat parked in front of my house for a month and a half. Um, no break, no break on the insurance no at all. Break on my insurance. ICBC. It's, it's like I'm a dagger. It's like a knife in the back. It you is. Know, here you and are. You know the government's not giving us any break on the one thing that they can easily give us a break on. Yeah. Yeah. If your insurance is supposed to be based on your risk right now, people like me who are trapped in our houses aren't, you know, our vehicles aren't posing any risk. So we should be paying less and they can easily figure this out. This is what I said on Radio NL earlier this week. They can easily figure it out. When they look at your vehicle, at the end of your insurance period, you have to give them the mileage. So you can report to them. You can say, I'm not driving right now because I lost my job, or I'm not driving right now because I'm self-isolating, or I'm working from home, or whatever. Declare it. They give you the corresponding break as though your insurance was calculated based on the less driving that you're doing. And you declare your mileage. At the end of the period, you come to them and your mileage doesn't accord with what you told them. You got to pay them. 
That's awfully complex. That's awfully complex. It's not more complex than the ridiculous system they already use to calculate your rates. Okay. It's not more complex than what they already have. I think everybody in British Columbia would agree with you, except the people who work in the insurance industry. And uh, I don't know that I agree with you. Maybe I do. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm undecided. What I can tell you is I've got a four-door sedan that is not being driven and is not going to be driven. Uh, I've got a pickup truck that we have that's mostly used for office purposes, and I'm not driving that. I'm basically driving the minivan uh, that, uh, that my wife would otherwise drive. Because what the hell? I don't need, you know. Working I, from home. Well, I don't want to move my car off the street so I don't lose my parking spot. Um, everybody's working from home. I brought the Chevy home. I was going to insure it, but then, you know, kind of like I've got nowhere to drive. So I have <laughs> no rush to put insurance on it when where, I've got nowhere to where go. Where are you going to go? Court? Nope, no court. Uh, I don't know. Restaurant? Nope, no restaurants. Haircut? Nope, no haircut. Well, that's the thing. Am I going to just, like, drive to Canadian Tire or Home Depot and just pick something up? No. Who wants to stand in line uh, six feet apart for 45 minutes to get inside when I, you know, need a uh, small can of stain? Um, During my my small period where I was permitted out of my house, I did, uh, I ran out of Tylenol and I went to the drugstore to get Tylenol. I was like, oh, the, you know, the grocery store's right here. I'll just pop in and get something. And then I walked over. And there was like a line that was like 20 people long. I was like, I don't stand in lines. I'm not going to stand in line to buy one thing at the grocery store, which is really just an excuse for me to wander around a grocery store. Well, Best Buy had um, a, you could order ahead and they had a table there that you could pick it up. And I assume that's what they were doing. And I ordered something to be picked up at the table and I drove over there and there was a line you know, around the block. And I don't know that they were letting people into the store. I think the idea was to pick up at the table. I don't know. I didn't, I saw the line and I thought, I'm not going anywhere near there. What the hell? I, I, I don't need it that much. I ordered it from Apple. It was there three days later. But Best Buy lost a sale as a consequence. And it's got to be hard for Best Buy because I'll tell you, Best Buy, they're expecting Best Buy to pay their lease. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expecting every business to pay their lease. I know there's businesses that aren't paying their lease. I know that landlords are giving breaks to a lot of people or uh, but it's deferring not, rent. they're just deferring it. You still have to pay it in the end. So it's, it basically turns into debt because um, they want you to survive. They, they, and they still want the money. Uh, and somehow they're managing to put off some of their, uh, some of their bills. But yeah, the. Uh, well, you know, they're not going to get the same rent after this for the same space if they kick you out. No, I know. And that's the thing because there's going to be so many vacancies. And I'm, you know, we have a huge space downtown and we're not going to be able to use that huge space. We've got, you know, we're staying so distant. I moved Sarah today into her, into the corner office, uh, become a lawyer at Acumen Law. You get a corner office and the, uh, I've never yeah, no, had you, a want, corner office. you wanted the corner office. Sarah gets the corner <laughs> office, your dream corner office that I promised you years ago went to Sarah because you're not in the office because you're at home sick. And so, uh, Sarah McDonald is enjoying the, uh, the, the benefits bigger. of your office is larger. You still have one of the larger offices for a lawyer in downtown Vancouver. Yes. I told you anytime you can switch offices with me, I'll take the smaller office. That's you can have the corner. I know. I need to be able to hear everybody from where I am so I can make sure everything's you know, working properly. Not that it matters right now, but you know, or normally I like to monitor yeah, but you like to monitor, but then you also complain about interruptions. So I think yeah. you probably well, would be better off in the corner. Right. You could get more stuff done, and I could just sit on a stool in the hallway. And then I could <laughs> monitor what's going on. It would all okay. work out. 
Okay, back to the internal. Do not want our office drama. No, now you. Now this is law office management. This is the law office management portion of our of our podcast. Hey, do we have a ridiculous driver of the week or not? Um, we don't. Just the COVID, the the COVID police. Pulling people over. Driver yeah. of the week. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't get to use our music. Well, I think I will hang up on you because I'm going to see if I can get a hold of my guest. And if I can't get a hold of my guest, then I may call you back and try and get some uh, get some uh, other ridiculous drivers out of you. Okay. All right. We'll be here. Okay. 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 Bye. bye. All right. I have uh, now called up Brandon Mosco, who is a uh, brilliant lawyer here at Acumen Law. And we are talking about something that has become a conundrum in British Columbia, and that is the issue of uh, what is your licensing and insurance requirements when it comes to a motor-assisted cycle. And the reason we're talking about this is because one of the few things that has actually been really busy, uh, particularly in the lower mainland, is bicycle sales, electric bike sales. That has not declined at all. In fact, there is demand for it. I've been, uh, I've been uh, noticing the huge number of bikes, and uh, everybody who's stuck at home can still get on their bike and pedal their bike. So, hi, Brandon. How are you doing? Good. Thanks good. for having me. Yeah, good to talk to you. Back I didn't know in... if you're going to throw into me there, or you're just going to keep going. Well, I kind of, you know, I get started and I can't stop sometimes. We wrote a blog post on our Vancouver Criminal Law site last August. Kyle is the one who wrote it. Her name's not on it, but she wrote it. August 19, vehicles you can drive with a suspended license because we get that phone call fairly regularly about can I drive a, you know, a power-assisted bike. Um, and ICBC's uh, website seems pretty unclear on this. Yeah, the, um, well, the, the blog post is pretty good uh, in terms of meeting the requirements. And, and ICBC, I think they got the right idea too because in the legislation, in the Motor Vehicle Act, it's pretty straightforward what a motor-assisted cycle is. And it's outlined in that blog post. Uh, there's a specific uh, electric motor limit that it can't pass. It can't exceed 500 watts. It can't be any faster than 32 kilometers per hour. Specific wheel size. I mean, these are all mentioned with numbers specifically. So it should be, in theory, pretty easy to know what's a motor-assisted cycle and what isn't. Uh, but it hasn't actually played out that way, it seems. Well, I mean, the... The, the people who are selling them, I assume, are telling people one thing. Uh, well, and... the, people, the people who are selling them are looking at the legislation, and they are trying to produce vehicles or make, sell vehicles that meet the motor-assisted cycle standard just at that threshold. So they want a vehicle or a motor-assisted cycle that will go 32 kilometers an hour and not not a kilometer over, but they won't want one that only goes 25 or 20, and that's, I guess, how they keep it competitive. So in, in a ways, I guess they're, they're designing these things to be at the upper limits, but still meet that definition. Now, can you, can you buy one that's over that can go faster? Is it permissible to buy one that goes faster? Do you just have to have a different license? Do you have to, what do you do in that circumstance, or can you not do it? Well, you can, it just it'll be classified as like a motorcycle at that point and you can drive a motorcycle with a, a license and insurance and all that kind of stuff but that's things you don't need for a motor assisted cycle you don't need a license you don't need insurance or what do you what do you need this is this is where the next lack of clarity comes in i guess is icbc i understand will not sell you insurance for many of these <clears throat> many of these bicycles that are available yeah well if it's 
a motorcycle cycle, they won't insure it because it doesn't meet their definition of a vehicle, the same definition of vehicle from the Motor Vehicle Act. Um, so, yeah, you can just take one and, you know, You don't need insurance? Ride around. You yeah, don't need insurance. Well, your but your insurance from your car, I think, still covers you because if you're on a bike, if you're on like a uh, regular old pedal bike and you have an accident and you have insurance on your vehicle, your ICBC insurance will cover you, right? Yeah, and it would be the same thing if you have uh, just other other all-inclusive insurance from other accident insurance and things like that. Uh, your home insurance might you. cover it too because yeah. you've got you've got personal yeah, you've got liability insurance from your home yeah. insurance. Yeah, all-inclusive liability insurance on your home insurance, things like that. Uh, you know, if you're just pedaling down the street in a bike or if you're on one of these motor-assisted cycles and, you know, you fall or something happens, then you know, insurance can help you in, in that regard. But you can't get plates is basically, I guess, the better way to describe it. You can't get that little sticker. on uh, ICBC won't give it to you. So ICBC won't sell it to you, yet you can you can get this thing. What's the licensing requirement then? I mean... I know you're. I know what you're. I know where you want to go on this. So, explain it to me because I don't understand the issue. Well, there's there's no licensing requirement, no insurance requirement. Um, it's basically just like a bicycle. That's uh, you don't need to pedal all the time. So, okay. think of it the same way. So you can ride it without insurance. Yep. Okay. What about if you, the police pull you over? Well, if the police pull you over, uh, what they should be doing, if uh, it does meet the definition of motor-assisted cycle, they should, you know, they can take a look over and uh, check the the wattage or or, or check the wheel size if they're really keen on that. And then they can say, okay, you're good, go on your way. And they can check it, and if those things don't meet the requirements, then they can say, you don't have insurance for this, so they can give you a violation ticket. Uh, for drive without insurance or drive without a valid license or if you were prohibited or suspended they can throw the book at you with drive while prohibited and things like that um, so it kind of depends on uh, on the situation I know people that do ride these things especially these motor assisted cycles that are really on the borderline um, between the motor assisted cycle and that next step up of being an actual motorcycle They'll get pulled over. All, they'll get pulled over all the time by police, just taking a look and seeing what's going on. And you know, more often than not, they'll just get sent on their way. Yeah, one would think. I mean, yeah, so long well, as the, the police the, officer figures it out. Well, the so that the case that I had dealt with, um, it was a guy that had a cycle that meets the definition of motor assisted cycle, or at least I would say it does, under the Motor Vehicle Act, and it's something that he couldn't get insured. He tried. Yeah. Uh, so, he, so he can confirm that. Um, but he, he was issued a you know ticket for driving without insurance at one point, but uh, he had mentioned that uh, before that, he had, he got pulled over all the time frequently. He said he had pulled over five other times before that, and the officers took a look and then sent him on his way. Uh, I guess this one officer didn't think it. Uh, but in this case, he testified that he didn't pedal or something. So was that what well, was that he, the issue, or what was? He said, "Yeah, he they, he said I didn't pedal because why would I? I, pedal I don't need to pedal. There's a motor assisted. And I, so so is that yeah, why they they came to the conclusion? Building, 
Yeah. I only take the elevator, but the stairs are there. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same kind of thing, right? Why would I pedal if I don't have to? That's why. But, but so he was found to, to require a license because he wasn't pedaling? Is that the ultimate conclusion of this thing? Well, essentially what happened was that there's this there's this case that the judicial justice in Travacourt relied on, and uh, it's been relied on further since then. Um, and it's a it's a decision that kind of went off the rails in, in some ways because it was decided correctly because that the motor-assisted cycle, or the vehicle, I guess, in that case, didn't have pedals at all. Uh, and when you don't have pedals at all, uh, it doesn't meet the definition because they have to have pedals. Yeah. But in in the this, the judge in that case in making his decision mentioned where he said there's no pedals that it's a motor assisted cycle and what that means is that the pedals uh, are meant to support the motor, not supplant it. And that kind of got picked up by the judicial justice in this case and then noted in other cases uh, to state that well. The, the pedals are the support for it, uh, not something that you can take away and, and not use. So yeah. that's why the decision ended the way it did in this case. Um, and it's it's frustrating because there was another case um, where the the pedals were there, they were on it, but what that uh, what that motor assisted cycle operator had done was he had taken a wrench and he had moved them so they are facing up so we couldn't use them so but so that they were completely out of the way yeah because they were inconvenient for him because he wasn't using them anyway um, and then in that case judicial justice said well it it still meets the legislation it still has pedals it doesn't say you have to use them and that's where this whole thing kind of got um, messed up basically and now at least in the case that uh, for the the client that I just had for, for that decision, he's in a position where he's got this uh, cycle that she can insure, um, and he also has a decision from a judge saying that it's not a motor-assisted cycle. So he's kind of just sitting in his garage, I would guess. And 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 this falls down to the him not using the pedals. Is that it? Was that the? I, was that yeah, my understanding? Basically. Yeah. Okay. It, it came down That's to ridiculous. one line essentially in the in his testimony where he said, um, "Yeah, the pedals are there, but I never use them. Why would I use them? Because it's got a motor. Oh. Why would I pedal unless I'm looking for a workout?" That's ridiculous. Um, you might pedal on you just when maybe you'll just pedal on the odd hill going up. <laughs> maybe yeah. you've got no hill that day, and you're you're you know you're not feeling well, and you don't feel like pedaling. It's, how do I, how I, do you how do you how does that become a workable piece of legislation if that is the standard? Well, the thing is that's not what it says in the legislation because the legislation in uh, it's one of those cases where the legislation is is pretty clear where it says it needs pedals. It doesn't say you have to pedal or you have to pedal half the time. It just says it needs to be pedals. So um, the pedals have to be connected to the drivetrain. Does it say yeah. that in the legislation? The pedals. I guess the the idea of the legislation is that they have to be have functioning. If you pedals, wanted to yeah. use them, they're there to use it. But no yeah. one wants to use them because why would you unless you want the workout? Um, well, a lot of people so, like to ride their bike. 
Uh, I see what they're trying to do, but this is uh, this is messy if this is the way that the law is going to be interpreted. Well, yeah. So then that legislative intent of having the pedals as something that you can use if you want became something, the legislative intent is it's something you must use. Have to be pedaling uh, in, in addition to the electric assist. Yeah. So. Well, that's foolish. That's what if you want to take a break? That's, yeah. I mean, that's how it was defined um, in that case, in that Ray decision. Uh, as the legislative the legislative intent was designed in that or defined in that way, so um, it just doesn't really appear to be the way that the legislation or the legislator intended it. But now that's kind of the way it's been defined in common law. So, so we, uh, need, we need a new case. Well, um, yeah, basically, and I was hoping that my case would be the new case, um, but uh, Ray has carried the day so far again. So that's too bad. That's too bad. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. New area of technology, new interpretations of the law. Look at the cell phone decisions. You know, when the cell phone uh, legislation first came out, we thought that nobody could uh, <laughs> nobody could have a cell phone anywhere, basically, in their vehicle that wasn't, uh, that wasn't fixed and connected directly through the Bluetooth. And um, every week it changes. Every week it changes. So, oh, well. That uh, causes people to be cynical. People like me, I try not to be cynical. The way it goes. Anyway, well, and it's it's something that's been mentioned in some of these cases, and even in the Ray decision, uh, the judge at the end says this legislation should probably be revisited. And then in that case where the um, the the operator had used that wrench to move the pedals out of the way, that's the. I yeah. believe that was a provincial decision. Judicial Justice said the same thing. I think he actually, if you look at that case, I think he actually referenced cell phones, that legislation, said, just like the cell phone legislation, it's been a while now, we should probably revisit this. So it's, it's you know, noted in all these, these cases, the judges are, are saying it at the last few paragraphs, if you look at all these cases. So um, it's something that everyone seems to be aware of. But uh, David Eby's not listening to our podcast. That's his problem. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the... You know what? Uh, everyone needs things to do right now. <laughs> you think so. the government's lacking things to do? I think the yeah, attorney general's lacking things to do. What's that? Maybe we should, I'm starting to run out of my podcast. Maybe we should start turning this into a twice a week thing. You think? I tell Kyla. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that. Keep you, get you on the podcast more. Well, you're a good podcast guest. You're probably a better podcast guest with Kyla because my problem is I like to talk too much. That's okay. I'm a good listener, so I think we work well together. Are you good? Yeah, I expected you would be you would be a funnier podcast guest. You know, when I hired you, uh, I called all your references, and they said he's a really funny guy, and I've still been waiting. Oh yeah, well you know, one day I'm just going to come up with all the jokes, and then you're holding I'm the just back, building it up. The anticipation is every day. I I know you can't wait for it. Well, I've been waiting for years and I will continue to wait. Thank you very much for talking to me. So we are now at the end of uh, Driving Law with Kyla Lee that doesn't have Kyla Lee for the last portion. If you need to get a hold of Kyla Lee, you can call her at 604-685-8889. You can also find her at at uh, IRP Lawyer on Twitter. Uh, and uh, she also has uh, uh, her own website, kylalee.ca. And our website for the office is vancouvercriminallaw.com. Thank you uh, very much to Brandon for talking to me. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and uh, we will see you next time on another episode of Driving Law.